Now my neighbors are gonna be like, so we noticed your dogs are running around with a cell phone tape to them. This is the Nash, the Nash Dance Podcast. Welcome to Nash Dev, a podcast about software engineering and the Nashville developer community. I'm Corey, and today Jason and I are talking to John Berriman, a discovery engineer at Eventbrite here in Nashville and the co-author of a new book, Relevant Search. Nash Devcast is a production of Relationary Marketing. Enjoy. So I have an important question. Why did you pick the man smoking a very long pipe for the front page? Did you pick it or did they pick it for you? Or like what goes into that? Yeah, so that was that was kind of interesting. Um, I will say mostly good things about Manny, but that was something that was, I, I, I picked a picture. Uh, they, they have this giant manual of pictures that you can choose from that all look kind of similar to that. And my dad used to be really into Native Americans and there was, there was one that was uh, a Plains Indian. So I thought, you know, like tracking. Uh, relevant search the search for stuff so i picked the plains indian and they're like hey that's pretty good how about this guy instead <laughs> so my co-author's like yeah john this is good it looks just like you it's got the same funny mustache we're golden <laughs> and I'm like okay i'm exhausted so it looks great so <laughs> so uh they do let you choose uh if i really 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 uh angled for it i probably could have got my plains indian but uh we got no, no, the like, man like from the patmos and it's, it's got the rosy cheeks as well yeah We've, we did find out after, after the fact that this is Man from Patmos, which is vaguely a, a reference to uh, the Bible, the book of Revelations, which was authored by John, who was on the island of Patmos. I'm John. This is my book of Revelations about search. <laughs> Re- uh, uh, revel- search. <laughs> yeah, revel- yeah, that's as good as it gets. So... <laughs> Yeah, so... That kind of opens up a whole new audience for, for the book. Right, right. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't end in the apocalypse. Yes, your company dies because oh, no one can find stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so could you uh, introduce yourself? Hi, uh, I'm John Berryman. Um, I'm the author of Relevant Search, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, I am a senior software engineer, effectively a discovery engineer at Eventbrite. Um... And if you'd like to, I, I could go into the details about yeah. that. Or, what do you, you discover? Yeah, what is a what? discovery engineer? I don't discover That sounds like, a, like something that, that they have at Disney World. Like I feel like you engineer. need a pith helmet it, and a vest. Right, right. So, <laughs> um, we're, we're trying to make it that fun. Uh, what, what I effectively do at uh, Eventbrite, well, I guess a little background back up. Uh, Eventbrite, just to establish a shared context, uh, Eventbrite historically has been a web platform for event organizers. You can uh, put together a, a small event, a large event, uh, and what we do for the organizers is give you a place to advertise it, easy way to uh, market to your consumers, the people who attend, and we take care of the annoying bits about uh, credit cards and stuff like that. But um, we we've started to notice recently that uh, you know we've got uh, we built a pretty successful business on the organizer side only, but there's another entire half of the market that we're not really paying much mind to yet, uh, all the consumers. Right now, we expect the organizers to drive them directly to the, the effectively the ticketing pages and checkout. So my piece of the puzzle is actually beefing up the other side of that marketplace. Uh, we are making events discoverable by users. So if, uh, for example, if um, 
you know, if, if we're able to watch the, the way that you interact with Eventbrite, see the types of things you typically click on, events you attend, events you save, uh, then you'll notice that the recommendations that we provide back to you become more and more targeted on the stuff that you've shown interest in. So that's what the discovery team does at Eventbrite. And we do search as well. Uh, so there, there is the whole uh, search problem of if I'm specifically looking for an event, here's how I find it. Right. Um, yeah. All right. So you, uh, you wrote a book called Relevant Search. Um, I've read like the first three chapters of it. It's actually it's a, it's a surprisingly approachable, like practical book. I mean, it's, it's almost it's. It's almost a. a it, I, I want to say it's a good introduction to like to the to the topic of search just to begin with, but it's not about like, you know, your first search. It's really about, well, okay. So what is search relevance, and why did you write a book about that? Okay, um, so search is becoming more and more ubiquitous. I mean, probably the first data store that everyone reaches out to is MySQL or Postgres, something like that. Your typical SQL data store. And, uh, but more and more, especially like with e-commerce, you know, having become huge, uh, people have lots of items that they need their users to easily track down. So search engines end up being perfect for that. Um, but typically, uh, you know, the reason that we wrote a book, uh, is we felt like there is kind of a hole in the available content out there. Uh, search technology comes from a very academic background. And they talk about search in the context of if you've got a giant library of information, how do you find the book that you're looking for or the, the technical paper? Um, but since you know uh, companies have been adopting this technology, you've got other other books come out like uh, you know here's your search engine, how do you set it up, how do you index stuff, and just typically like the plumbing and interaction with it. And there's the I guess this stool has four legs. The third leg would be uh, design stuff. You know, here's here's how people interact with searching your website. Uh, here's the good UI UX. So all those things were out there already, but a relevant search gets gets to a piece of the puzzle that we don't think had been really investigated yet. Um, given a lot of documents, which can represent events in our case, uh, items in, in Amazon, movies, whatever, how do you actually direct the people to the items they're looking for. And, and that's what relevance is all about, how, how to make sure that what they're looking for is findable. Because if it's not findable, it, it doesn't really exist. Right, I think the, one of the things the book does really well in the very early chapters is it talks about um, ways that your search engine, like just with the default configuration, just out of the box, you set things up uh, in a straightforward way, you load a bunch of data into it, um, it can produce like really crummy results. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of way, there's a lot of things that can that can go wrong, and the scoring um, is it's it's there, there's a there's a heuristic there that you need to be you need to understand in order to be able to tune. Right, right. So um, search relevance kind of seems magic, and our maybe the main goal of this book is to take away the magic to make it is down to earth and approachable as possible. And one of the one of the things that you're really kind of hinting at right there is, um, you know, at the core of it, a search engine is really a fairly simple data structure. It, it there's not much it really can yeah. do. It's effectively uh, a sophisticated token matching system that is also good at ranking 
documents, putting them, sorting them in some, some order. But it's up to you, the relevance engineer, to figure out uh, the best way to make the tokens and the best way to, to organize documents that contain specific tokens. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to like go way, way, way back and like... Explain like, what a token yeah, is. Yeah, it's like you say like, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. what it is that so, you're talking about. Because right. like, I mean, like to pretend that I did some, uh, some web development like 15 years ago Mm-mm. and, and that, that, that I have no idea what any of the other words you use mean. <laughs> because that's in fact the case. <laughs> so so uh, token. Tokens... When I guess you were to start out with a, a search engine, you can think of them as words. So you got you got a big big long sentence, a uh, bunch of sentences. In, fa- in fact, you got maybe a book full of sentences. Uh, the first thing that the search engine does to index a document is it chops it up into tokens. Which uh, the easiest way of doing this is splitting on white space. Okay, let's go that route for just a yeah, second. Okay. Uh, so if you split on white space. Space, you got uh, uh, the the quick brown dog something. What's the sentence? The quick brown fox jumped over this. No, the lazy fox jumped. I yeah, don't remember. The, I should have this sentence memorized. I've heard it a bazillion times. There's a fence in, in there, field. and there's a fox. <laughs> quick brown fox. You got a you got a. I big thought it was an angry sphinx <laughs> and a jade no, quartz. No. no, no, that's the Pokemon. Sphinx of quartz. No, sorry. So the problem with tokenizing purely on, on a white space, consider this. Uh, by the end of the day, you've got uh, a bunch of effectively Unicode strings, or actually the way that the search engine handles it, it's just byte strings. Yeah, okay. And uh, then, your typer, then your user comes into your application and types in, um, I don't know, I don't know. Uh, peanuts, they come to your application, they type in peanuts because they like nuts, so yeah. So they type in type in peanuts, and uh, what what you find out is that all of the documents that had peanuts capitalized. <laughs> you know where I'm going with that pronunciation, don't you? Should we back up? <coughs> you you want to start over? I, I, we can, I could have sworn no, you said peanuts, and I was trying to figure out how to, how to go with, go that route. Yeah. They type in penis because they are 12. <laughs> type in penis, right, and you don't want to send them to they're those. Gory. That's what your user always does. That's why. <laughs> That's not the type of search engine I work for, buddy. So, uh, so I need a proper noun. Okay, we type in Nashville in search results. That's, that's an easy one. Now, the thing is, I'm not going to capitalize in when I type Nashville into search box. But we've just tokenized everything by spaces, which means we haven't really done anything else to it. The byte arrays that represent tokens uh, have capital N almost every time the word Nashville occurs in text. So by default, that won't match anything. So let's, uh, I guess the easy, well, what is the easy thing to do? I, I guess you could... To lower everything. Yeah, <laughs> we need to lower everything. Like, so we're gonna lower, when we, when we bring things into the search engine's index, like before we do anything else, before we tokenize, we're just gonna lowercase the entire thing. That's right. All right. So you are thinking the right way, so let me throw another uh, another wrench at you. If uh, if you have Nashville, comma the coolest spot on earth. Yeah, that's not Comma good. is gonna be in there. Comma's in there too because you split in white space. So we've got to. Yeah, so, we've got to do something about punctuation. Do you scrub out away, punctuation? So so. But what about something that's like hyphenated? Oh yeah yeah yeah. 
there's, yeah, there's you want to keep several, or something. I don't know. Yeah, there's like seven circles of hell as you get deeper and deeper to these problems, and that's that's one of the big things about relevance. So we've just walked through actually a nice little uh, mental exercise that that is, I'd say, about half of the equation for what a relevance engineer uh, does, and and to go just a little bit more into detail on that before we talk about the other half. Um, you know, we just talked about lower casing tokens, um, cleaning up punctuation, but there's a lot of other stuff that you can do as well. For instance, if I, if the user types in the word, uh, walking, then I would probably want them to match a document with walked and walker and walks and walk. And you can do that by by carefully tokenizing uh, the words, effectively. So you just like tokenize the root. You 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 can tokenize the root. Uh, you can base. It's called stemming. You can chop off the end and just make the the so token represent how do all you, those possibilities. How do you deal with something like Walker is a really common last name? So if you've too lowered everything and you have a Walker, and you have somebody who's searching for like a walking meetup, how do you separate out the people that are looking for the Bobby Joe Walker reunion or, you know, some... So you, you won't, kind of. you got to be very careful. What, what you'll find out... Uh, so, so the first rule of search engines is that they are sophisticated token matching systems, and really they don't know anything besides that. So as the relevance engineer, you've got to understand your space. You know, you can't just, like, turn on Alaska Search and just dump stuff in. You've got to understand that... Uh, my documents have authors, and authors uh, go in a title field. Oh, you, you may want to tokenize that field differently. So right, what about, right. can you, you know, so like if you're doing natural language processing, you look at what comes before and what comes after. Do you use that in tokenizing? Do you look at the context that the, the word you're tokenizing occurs in? If you'd like to. Um, or does that just complicate it? Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, kind of what, what, what you'll see as you work through the book is uh, all, all these things are on the table. The most, the most simplistic way of approaching a search problem is, you know, simple tokenization of white space and punctuation, lower space, stem, that, that typical thread. But uh, you can apply any type of process you want to so, so long as the tokens created during search time, when people are actually typing in the box, match whatever symbol you have used to carry this meaning in your index. So uh, in a, maybe a simplistic case uh, with the Walker family, if you know that your search application has uh, n human names in it, then your tokens that you put into the index could actually be prefixed by, uh, you know, last name colon Walker. And during search time, if someone searches uh, and Maybe this is a little bit silly. If you have some sort of context, understand that they mean the name and not the verb, then you just make the token look the same. So oh, oh, you can, maybe you can search for both. Like when they type in Walker, right? Yeah, I see. Or if they talk, if they type in capital W Walker, well, you, yeah, then you maybe you're sure. Yeah. Although these days people expect everything to work like Google, so you just type Low. in lowercase. <laughs> you type in lowercase. Yes, right. But I, so you can. You can definitely massage the tokens as much you, as you want, and you can get some really unusual match capabilities there. For instance, one, uh, the, probably the favorite chapter that, that I wrote was chapter four, which talks about all the weird ways you can tokenize stuff. And we've been talking about words and sentences, 
but you can tokenize locations and stuff. And actually, and, until maybe a really recent change uh, that I haven't investigated completely enough, uh, whenever you have locations on a map, they effectively uh, get tokenized into strings of letters, basically. And then whenever you search for a location, by I mean, the search interface is probably different by clicking on a map, that also gets tokenized into a bunch of different words effectively. And then it's just a normal search application. So you can do really unusual things with something that was originally designed to search words. Something that struck me um, was how search engines are like and unlike databases. Like they, they, are, they are more like data stores than I realize. They're kind of, I don't know. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like what, what yeah, go ahead. Um, I think Solar and Elasticsearch uh, are kind of in the vein of NoSQL data stores, but the funny thing about the technology that they rely on, Lucene, they both rely on uh, this library called Lucene, is it was made before the whole NoSQL thing was even popular. It just happened to fit the criteria, so it became kind of a selling point for a, a few years there. Um, so a search engine is a data store, um, but it has some interesting and different qualities from, like, say, a, a SQL database. Um, so I guess to, to kind of delve into some of those, um, well, I mean, the, the one that, like, jumps to mind is, like, when I query a database, I know exactly what I want, and I want the exact match, and there's only one correct answer for the particular question that I'm asking, right? Well, you, you can totally do a SQL-like query. Yeah. And what's the, what's the problem with that? This is exercise number two for the day. What's the problem with using the... Using S- a SQL-like query. Like I like? To query, like, a... Like a Sorry, to, like to query Elasticsearch? No, are you familiar with SQL? Uh, so early in my days of search consulting, this came up a lot. Like why would I actually use a search engine, something that's dedicated to just... it, because I can do, you know, uh, select star from whatever where this field Oh, yeah, that's like, crazy. Or I like. Yeah, because, yeah. no, no, yeah, that's, that's, that's crazy because, because the, the, okay, a couple of reasons. So first of all, the database is either going to give you zero results or a billion results. To answer that question, and right. and they're they're not in any sane useful order. Right, which is like the whole topic of your entire book, right? Is, right. is like tuning that. And you will also have to scan every single document in the database, and effectively at the query time tokenize every single field that you're looking through. So it just doesn't scale. No, <sighs> and and there's and the whole idea of uh, stimming and all that stuff is that's basically unavailable too. So, uh, so that there's a huge reason not to do that. So the search is only as smart as the human that's writing that query. Yeah, and like you just can't do anything really sophisticated with uh, with a typical SQL database. Uh, they're adding stuff now, but like um, SQL databases are awesome for what they're awesome at. But a lot of a lot of people are we don't have as much of a problem with this after the NoSQL revolution thing. But a lot of people uh, really held to SQL databases for a while and didn't choose the data store that was best at the domain that that they needed. Uh, so you know the cool thing about a search engine, a search data store, is it like I said earlier, it's it's just good at a very few things. Uh, it can do really fast lookups on any term that happens to be indexed. Once it has a term, it can do really fast lookups and find it, all the documents that contain that term. It's a bit array. 
press. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And then so if you want to find all documents that have these two terms, then you do those quick lookups, get the bid arrays and the bid arrays together, and it ends up being a lot faster and a lot more flexible for certain behaviors than SQL. There are, there are some prices that you have to pay for this, though. Um, with SQL, you think about the data as opposed to the questions that you're going to ask of the data. So uh, you, you denormalize everything. You make sure that you know, it's kind of optimized for write. I only have to write in one place. I don't have to write you know, five different tables. Um, with uh, Lucene-based search engines or, or Elasticsearch, um, you, you really need to think about the questions when you're getting into the thing. Uh, you need to think, you know... So why is that? Like, why, this, is, this is something the book explains, but like, was n I, I had no idea, right? Which is that search applications really are different. And like, mm -hmm. like the concept of search is not this one-size-fits-all thing. Um, but can you explain, like, why? Like, what is the thing that varies that matters? Well, so, so like, let's go into a typical usage of a SQL search engine, uh, SQL database, uh, if you have, um, cause those, like those strike me as pretty much like I can just use Postgres and if, you know, if I don't have like extreme performance needs, I don't have to optimize for anything. I don't have to like, you know, what I, I have a feeling like I know what a select statement is. I know what a table is. And there's, there's like all the, all the concerns that you have in tuning a search engine, like none of them, none of them, none of those things matter at all. You're like, when you tune a SQL database, you're tuning for performance, period. Right. So which, so are, would your vantage point for the sake of this conversation be that SQL is easier to tune because it's, it's no, just, more no, known? No, no, no. SQL I know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, it's I, more, just, I just know what SQL more, is. That's all. Well, so honestly, I'll, I'll even step back away from my book a little bit. If SQL's all that you know. Uh, and SQL happens to, to satisfy your needs for the next couple of years for whatever application, yeah, just go for it. Go for SQL if that's what you're comfortable with until you find that it hurts too much to keep going. And then maybe you go for a search engine like Elasticsearch. But it, but it is good all along the way to understand uh, the benefits and drawbacks to each technology. They all have them. Yeah. What's the biggest drawback you found to the Lucene Base. It's just a different way of, of thinking. Uh, so its its domain of application is is not completely overlapping for sure to, to SQL. For instance, with SQL, SQL, you can ask effectively any question that you want to, uh, as long as you're doing exact field matches. You can't you know do tokenized stuff. But as long as long as you're in the domain of you know find me everything that matches this criteria, you can assemble tables together and ask whatever you want to. But with uh, search technology, the data store, uh, part of the reason I like it so much is it, it really is a lot simpler than MySQL. There's, there's just not, honestly, there's not much to it. I could diagram it on the border like two squares. So, uh, but the, the problem that you have with that is effectively you're dumping all your data into, if you're, if you're still thinking in tables, it's effectively one big table. So if you want to answer a specific problem, you have to think about it, you have to think about the questions you want to answer beforehand and make sure that that data is appropriately collected into that table. And if you want to ask questions off of that, then you've got to make another table effectively. So, and you have to denormalize your database into the types of questions that you want to answer. It makes me think about uh, what is the question, 40, or the, the answer to the question, we know, we know the 42. <laughs> When you started writing the book, you were already uh, 
I mean, you are both already experts on, in this, this subject, right? So it's like a really good uh, topic for you. But um, did you learn anything but, like during the writing of the book about, about the topic? Or was it pretty much just the, the, the suffering of uh, deadlines and, and, and words? How do those work? Uh, no, we definitely learned about the topic, too. Um, so the, the company that me and Doug worked for at the time that we worked together is called Open Source Connections. Um, and primarily during, during my tenure there, they were consultants with solar technology, which is a, a compete, competitor to Elasticsearch, good search engine, yada, yada, yada. Um, but that had been our primary experience coming into this book. We both had some experience with Elasticsearch, but not just super, super deep experience with it. But, you know, we could see the writing on the wall. We could see that there has been considerable interest uh, drawn into Elasticsearch. And we knew the ins and outs of Lucene pretty well. Both these technologies are based on that. So we knew what you should certainly be able to do, even if we hadn't quite come in contact with it yet, or Elasticsearch. So we jumped in and wrote a book about Elasticsearch, having pretty good experience, but not just great experience with that. By the end of the book, we were Elasticsearch experts. Yeah. So how, do, how do you become it's an expert in something, Jason? <laughs> so, yeah, you volunteer yeah. to give a yeah. talk on it, is what, <laughs> yeah. what you do, and then, and then you have this stressful experience, and then you're an expert. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or if you're truly crazy, you volunteer to write a book. That's... So how did you get interested in search in general? Uh, what got me interested in search to begin with? Well, honestly, uh, a disinterest in my career at the time got oh, yeah. me interested in anything besides my career at the time. And anything happened to come in the shape of search technology. Uh, I was... Uh, out of college, I was an aerospace engineer. I worked uh, for a small government consulting shop in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, really, really, really interesting projects, always. Uh, satellites, aircraft, and even weird stuff like we had a DARPA experiment to model children's educations by analogy of, you know, what if kids were aircraft? Weird is, isn't that weird? Yeah, but we, we knew about control systems for aircraft and Kalman filtering, and so it actually, it's, the proposal made it make sense. We, we got the proposal. <laughs> uh, but the, but the, the, the thing I found out going, uh, going through uh, a, a lot of time there is that, it, you know, a lot of the government contracts didn't really come to much in the end. You, you did a lot of work, interesting topics, but you put the book on the shelf. You wrote a book, put the book on the shelf, and, uh, and then you're done with it. So I, I got interested in entrepreneurial type things. I started organizing uh, events in Charlottesville uh, around technology and entrepreneurship. I, I, I wasn't trained as a developer, but I'd gotten pretty good at Java and you know, tinkered around with other stuff. And uh, oh, the, the owner of Open Source Connections uh, befriended me uh, at that point. Uh, and he's, he's like, hey, let's, let's teach you search engines and get you consulting. And, and that was a wild ride. And, uh, but by the end of it, uh, I knew quite a bit about search technology. So at the beginning, you said that there are two halves to this. You told us about the first half. What's the second half? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, we, we've talked about how tokenization is hard. Typically, you think about tokens as words until you really get into the deep issues of relevance and realize that, well, you've got to be careful 
about matching what the user's typing in with whatever you've indexed. So that, that's the tokenization side of things. The other thing that search engine technology is really good at is ranking based on some function, whatever function you've thought of. And uh, they, they have a lot of good primitives, if you will, built into search technology to do that. Um, but you know, one of the things that uh, SQL technology can't do uh, is order the results according to relevance. It's because it's kind of a, a vague notion, and, and SQL doesn't really deal in vague notions like that. Uh, search technologies are really good. So, um, a, a really rough example of kind of uh, kind of the tip of the iceberg for this half of relevance engineering is uh, by default. Documents are scored according to TFIDF is the name right. of it. So that stands for term frequency, inverse document frequency. So what are those things? This is like, this is like yeah, the, so. the, the, the academic idea that, that underlies like everything that search engines do. And it's like ridiculously simple. Yeah, yeah, Can you yeah, just okay. ex go ahead and explain it? Because yeah, I think this so, is awesome. So I might as well just stick with the word TFIDF because, I, I mean, tokenize that in your head is this idea that I'm about yeah. to spell out that is really simple. Uh, a, a document is more relevant if the word you're searching for is in it more times. That's the term frequency. So if I've heard search for dog and this document right. has the word dog in it 20 times and it's a lot more relevant potentially than some something with the word once. Yes, right. Um, now that's, so term frequency, that's that. Uh, inverse document frequency is like, if I'm searching for two words, let's say I'm searching for the dog. Now the document frequency is the number of times that the word occurs across the corpus, uh, across the set the of documents, uh, the corpse. Okay. The document frequency is the number of times that the word occurs across the set of documents. So the word the, for example, is it's, in it's every, every document. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the, you know, the doc frequency is you know, equal to the number of documents. Mm -hmm. uh, the word dog probably occurs in a small set of them, you know, maybe 1% or something like that. And it depends on, it depends on your, your, the documents that you're working with. But like, I always like, my default example is you're searching Wikipedia, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. These going to be in everywhere because these are big documents and they're like full of sentences, right? Um, and and dog is going to be kind of rare, right? So that the way that the document frequency factors into the the default scoring algorithm is, you know, the word dog occurs in this document uh, twenty times, so it's really important. Uh, the word the occurs into it in this document, you know, five hundred times. But the is so common, we just don't care. So yeah. effectively, the word the, uh, the uh, we, we multiply the term frequency by the inverse document frequency. Uh, so, you know, the occurs 400 times, but... So it's inverse document frequency is almost zero. It's yeah, like, the, it's, it's worthless. Yeah, it's worthless. So effectively, a search for the dog uh, mathematically becomes very close to the search for dog. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, you know, what if you have a, a, a document that came dog, 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 because you're trying to game the system? Yeah. Well, the way that uh, really sophisticated search engines like uh, Google get over that is they have page rank. They have a different signal that also weighs in with the pure text relevance. 
pure text relevance can be broken by malicious parties, by the right, way you said. Yeah. So an interesting part of um, what we tried to address in this book is, you know, you don't just have the relevance according to the text in the document, but relevance also for a business, practically speaking, has to do with how much money you're going to make by showing them some of these things. So you might promote items that uh, are popular right now, or even promote items that you just need to move off the shelves and get, get out of your inventory. So you can tune the notion of relevance. What? Uh, yeah, it happens all the time. I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm crestfallen. Like, <laughs> <laughs> your search engine is lying to you. Here's how. <laughs> we can make a good blog post title. It's a good link bait yeah. type thing. So, uh, but an important part of uh, search relevance for a, a lot of uh, companies is, is how to weigh these two concerns together. If you focus too hard on y selling the, the, the high value product, then the relevance yeah. from the user's perspective is gonna be horrible and it'll break down for both parties, they'll just leave. Yeah. If the relevance is uh, too centered towards text, then you, you might suffer from uh, you know, these parties that are gaming the system, or you might pro promote something that is though very well described in the document is actually not that great of a product. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting uh, balance, and, it, and this is where the science does definitely meet the art. Yeah, and it's, it's, where, it's where, like, different companies' uses for sort of different organizations' needs are, are really quite different. And that's something mm. that I just, like, I really didn't know coming in. Another example that's in the book is if you're Twitter, right, mm. your documents are really, really mm. compressed, and people don't spell check them, and they, you know, don't use grammar at all. Um, and so it's just different. You're, 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 the way you implement search is going to be very different. Yeah, how do you, how do you deal with misspellings or, like, you know, R as in the letter R instead of A-R-E or, you know, like truncated speech? So um, one of the underlying themes, uh, another, I guess, underlying theme of the book is that natural language is just dirty. It really is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have synonyms for, uh, you know, different ways of saying the same word. So if I really want to find a document about dogs, then maybe I should search for dogs and puppies and canines and everything else. Mm -hmm. There are ways to deal with this, but it does kind of become painful. Uh, natural language has misspellings that you have to sort of infer the best thing to deal to, to do with the situation. Uh, we have these, this is really confusing, uh, and I think this is at the cutting edge of what we should be doing with search. Uh, words in English, for example, have the same spelling but completely different meaning. Right. Hell, we even have um, self antonyms, auto antonyms, like to cleave, to separate, or to stick to. Right. Right? What? <laughs> yes. English. Search engine, deal with that. Um, yeah, so natural language is really dirty. Uh, effectively, the, the tools that you have in a search engine is you, you've got to chop it up into tokens and, uh, you know, doing that the best you can. Uh, so if you have a Twitter and everyone spells, everyone spells R with just the letter R, then you say, okay, well, that's a synonym for a different word, A-R-E. And then you say, that occurs in every document, so I'm not going to index it anyways. <laughs> oh, um, another, uh, you, you mentioned that all these different companies have very interesting uh, different use cases or search technology. And that's actually one of the things I, I, I kind of wanted to, to call out. Um, you know, we earlier described, you know, some of, the, some of the ways that search is challenging uh, as compared to like SQL technology. 
Uh, you have to think ahead about your questions, right, and, and figure out how mm -hmm. to shape the data. Um, but uh, with some of the benefits that it has over like SQL technologies, um, when Elasticsearch came out, they effectively the reason that they came to prominence so quickly is because they they took these same data structures that had been used to search libraries and they turned them into log aggregation. Uh, they turned Elasticsearch into a log aggregation engine effectively. What, what, what do you mean by that? Log. So uh, the data structures that back a search engine are really good for sifting through, filtering, uh, aggregating content from logs. And that is w one of the important use cases for Elasticsearch in particular. Um, so remember what I said that search engines were good at. Uh, search engines can look up a token and find all the documents in uh -huh. it really quickly. And uh, filtering it down to say, you know, find all the documents that contain this and that and that and that. Uh, that's actually really useful for uh, filtering large data sets because you don't have to worry what order the, the index is or what fields have an index like you would in a SQL database. They all have indexes effectively. Yeah. Every token right. effectively right. is an index. And once you, once you have, you know, I want to find all log entries that have this IP address and are talking to this, uh, this API endpoint, once you have whatever filter down, then you can start, uh, you, you effectively have an iterator into the document set, and that iterator is very fast, and you can start collecting aggregate met metrics as you iterate through the document, and that works just really well. So it's also very, very easy to distribute onto many machines. All the, all the information in your one table is denormalized, yeah. so it doesn't matter where you chop it. You, if you chop it into three bits, you can stick it on three different machines. Mm -hmm. So it gets it grows as large as you want it to be. So as a consultant, have you ever gone into some place and their their search engine was just like completely woefully misconfigured and everything was horrible? Oh yeah. Oh so yeah. So what are some ways that that happens? Well, I, you know, search technology was kind of this new fendagle thing. It was got to get me some of that NoSQL. Yeah. And, and so we had uh, pretty big shops adopting solar at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, they Whoa. were trying to, that, basically they, they knew that NoSQL and solar in particular were these denormalized data stores. So like, aha, I just write a big SQL query that joins everything and dump it into solar. And it turns out that, you know, uh, combinatoric explosion is really, it, it's a real thing. <laughs> so how come wow. my three gig database is now a 30 terabyte, you know, I don't understand why we're big data all of a sudden. <laughs> right. <laughs> cool. Got the big data thing too. <laughs> so, um, that, uh, that's, that's the thing that comes, comes to mind. We had, we had to unwind some, some people, uh, from, from not thinking through the questions that they were going to ask and making dedicated search in indices to answer those families of questions. I mean, would you say that uh, uh, most of the most of the organizations you were working with were uh, using it more as a data store than a document store, or was it a, a mix? Um, because to me, like again, like I, maybe maybe that's just not a distinction that. 
that people make anymore. <laughs> but it's a distinction I've kind of always had in my head, right? Like, if it's Wikipedia, that's definitely documents, right? Um, and, you know, if it's, if it's hmm, if it's Amazon, it's, it's data. I don't know. Joanne Dorf has a uh, thing with Wikipedia. <laughs> I like Wikipedia. It's a good example. Wikipedia is a great example. That's you the can download it. The you know this? No, you, yeah, can, you download? can download. Yeah, you can download Wikipedia. Yeah. Like the whole Wikipedia. The whole, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, that that is the Lucene test set. When they want to see if Lucene is actually working, they fire off that they, they get the most recent version of Wikipedia, and then they just index the entire thing and just start running queries against it, and make sure that wow. it comes back with what needs to come back. I mean, it sounds crazy, but I mean, it's huge, right? Right. But it's all text. Right. right, like so. Th- so if you just download like the right, zip bundle of all just text, it's I don't know, t- tens or hundreds of gigs. It's not it's not uh, unmanageably huge. Yeah, and it's it's English text. I downloaded oh. it over Wi-Fi this weekend. <laughs> so how how big is it then? I I think I I don't have my laptop on hand, but it, it is. It's, it's in that range. It's like tens to hundreds of gigabytes. Yeah, yeah. Huh. It's not quite as big as you think the world, compressed. the entire world of knowledge. Oh, compressed. Yeah. Okay, so it's that's the English English only, and again, just the documents, not any of the images or anything else. I had no idea. Cool. That's like, what I'm gonna what do tonight. No, it's like this <laughs> playground, right? Like, well, sometimes it's hard. Like, I like playing around with natural language processing, and well, have you indexed it yet? I, no, I haven't. Right, I but that's what we're step. gonna do. I, I just need to empty the trash and like go and clear out some podcasts, and then we're gonna totally index Wikipedia. On my is, is it cleaned up of the markup? Uh, no, not at all. There is it. There, maybe you don't care, but there maybe is, I don't there care is, at first, right? And then well, then I'll see how bad it is, and there, then I'll want to do something different. There is, and you probably you probably will want to clean it out if you want to do much actual searching on it because it's yeah. a mess uh but there there are um there is an analyzer that is part of lucene that is specifically for cleaning out wikipedia wow. markdown that's what they use for the test so so i actually have a question about that like uh, just i was just after i after i read a couple of chapters of the book i'm thinking like wow so how would i tokenize wikipedia what would i want to do and i'm thinking like maybe um i want to treat headings as special or maybe i want to do something that's a little bit like page rank, mm-hmm. uh, since Wikipedia has cross references throughout it, throughout you know throughout the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, how what, how would you so okay so just to go back a little bit, if you did want to treat headings as like words that appear in headings as more important, um, how would you, would you do that during tokenization? Like what's the um, yeah yeah yeah. So uh, whenever you index let's say, a, a Wikipedia article, you're probably going to have something in front of Elasticsearch that, that breaks it up a little bit, uh, turns it into a JSON document, uh, and sends that JSON blob into Elasticsearch to do, do with it what it will. Now, uh, part of the thing that you can, yeah. you can do during that process is split out uh, according to the fields that you find are most yeah. interesting. So you can make up fields. It didn't have to be whatever the document actually had in it. You could separate out specifically a field for uh, headings, uh, H1 headings, H2 headings, whatever, and you can index those but not store them, which actually might save you a little bit of space because those are two different things. And then at uh, search time, you boost on matches that happen to occur in your H1 field, or you're, and you boost less than H2, and you boost even less than normal documents. So that, that would handle the, the use case for... 
um, you know, different levels of importance for the text. So the thing is, a JSON document, by the time you're done with it, right? Like, you're, you're, by the time you're done pre-processing it and you're mm -hmm. ready for Elasticsearch to take it, um, you're handing it off at some JSON document. Right. Uh, but and then that gets maybe the, so do, the, do, do those different fields get indexed separately? The fields you can think of get indexed uh, separately. Oh, okay. it, effectively, it, it, internally, it doesn't really matter that much because it's the same thing effectively as prefixing every token with the yeah. field name of the token. So it mm -hmm. doesn't really matter. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you, you can at least uh, during query time uh, differentiate from the fields. And it's at query time where you can, uh, you can specify a boost for a particular field, which says, you know, if you find a match on uh, the header one field, then weight it 10 times heavier than a match on a header two field, weight that 10 times heavier than a match on the description field, something like that. And All of which is the stuff that goes into the formula that computes the score of each hit, of each search hit, and yeah, then yeah. affects ranking. Yeah, so we, we talked about the TF-IDF thing yeah. earlier, and that, that's kind of the, the atomic uh, the the smallest piece of relevance that you can put together, but uh, you know if you know how well the text matches might be one signal, but you can differentiate with you know how, how well the text matches in the description field versus how well the text matches in the title, and you can consider those separate entities, and you know weight weighted average them together separately. There's a lot of different knobs and that you can turn and twist to make search relevance work for you. So how did you end up in Nashville? A oh, baby. Had what, a kid. Really? Yeah, that's what, that's what got me. So um, uh, my parents moved to Nashville when I went off to college, and so that put them here. My sister moved to Nashville um, probably about four years after that, after she got out of college. And... Um, and I, at the time, I had a job in, in Charlottesville, Virginia, with my yeah. wife. Uh, so we had uh, little Meg Berryman. Uh, her Japanese name is Meg Gumi. Um, and we decided to, to move back to the free babysitting land of Nashville. Yes, <laughs> so, right. No, I actually have a very similar story. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people <laughs> do. So, uh, but but it but it was it was a happy move. I it wasn't something. Uh, it it was. I, I really looked forward to actually being back towards family, but also being in Nashville, because I, I think a lot of neat things are happening here right now. I, I did a lot of stalking before I ended up uh, moving here. All right, so picks. My pick today is, did you know that you could get a blister on your eyeball? You can have a blister on your, when you say on your eyeball, you're talking about, like, no, on I, the, there's I, not skin there. There like you is, you have specialized eyeball skin and you can get a sunburned cornea. I, I had a blister on my eyeball about two months ago. Yep. I had a it. blister on my eyeball last week. I thought my eyeball was falling out. <laughs> yeah. That's wow. Wow. So is there other eyeball skincare products? I guess, I, mean, I guess I mean, there are, right? I mean, like, like renew eye drops or yeah. whatever. Those are... I lube. John, what you got? I, I was reading a book recently. Well, actually, I was I was writing it. Um, Relevant search. <laughs> it's I, it's been on my mind for like two years now. That was gonna no. be my pick. Yeah. It's okay. I got honestly. I, I couldn't I couldn't think of anything outside of books since I was so primed to think about books. So I I do have one book that I actually did find a pleasant nonfiction read. Um, if you like kind of the armchair psychology type books. Mm -hmm. Um, 
It's by Daniel Pink, and it's called Drive, What Motivates Us. And I, I just found it really fascinating. Uh, it has to do a lot with intrinsic motivation versus extrinsic motivation. Why, for example, you're less likely to work hard for a salary as you're as opposed to working hard for something that you just really think is fun and interesting. Okay. And it's just lots of different experiments and stuff to, to back up his thesis. Cool. I thought it was a good read. All right, so uh, my pick is Meteor Burst Communications. What is a Meteor Burst Communication? I don't know, but it was on Wikipedia, and it was awesome. That's Always see, comes so, back to so Wikipedia. So go search for it, and if you find it, tokenize that's it because somebody tokenized something like really well what is it though meteor burst communication is this kind of radio communication that you can only do during the time immediately after a meteor zips through the atmosphere creating this ion trail and you can bounce a signal off the ion trail that's awesome and people use it for like amazingly weird stuff You've been listening to NashDev. We're a production of Relationary Marketing, edited by Rodney Norris and Clark Buckner. Like us on Twitter, Facebook, and SoundCloud at NashDevCast. And if you review the show on iTunes, let us know, and we'll send you a sticker.